Welcome to Fresh Start Church Online. Our mission is to help people find a fresh start through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if we can pray for you or help you in any way. Now here's Pastor Bruce with this week's message. Today we're, we're starting a new series uh, called How to Get Through What You're Going Through. Uh, you know, there, there are so many great examples uh, in the Bible that, that, that because so many of them are familiar, it's easy to just kind of read them or read them again or just hear about these people that, that and kind of forget that they were real people just like us who went through major crisis. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a different person every week and just what did they do to make it through a crisis? What did they learn? How did they grow? How did they not give up? We're going to look at lots of different examples over the weeks to come. But today, I just want to kind of lay the foundation for that. And if you know of somebody that's, you know, dealing with, with a challenge, uh, dealing with a crisis in their life, uh, you can always send them to uh, our website. All the messages are uh, recorded and will be online usually later in the afternoon, Sunday, whenever I wake up from my nap. Um, but, but today I wanted to lay the foundation just to talk about, in general, uh, how do we, what are some general principles, and then we'll see those lived out in the weeks to come. What are some general principles uh, that can help us survive when we're going through? So sometimes as Christians, we think we're supposed to come through, you know, like, like heroes. And, and oftentimes, man, I'd just be happy to survive a crisis just to be able to get through it. Uh, we're going to talk about how do we keep our faith when we're going through a crisis how do we keep our faith in God? Because it's so easy to think, man, does God not care anymore? Does God not, is he, is he not listening to my prayers? Does he not see what I'm going through? And, and we're going to talk in weeks to come about how do we not just survive the crisis to come? How do we actually grow? What, what if God actually wants to use those times in our life to do something in us and, and maybe even to do something through us. You know, I don't know if you've thought about this, but, but the most influential events in our life, and I'm not talking about a, a marriage or a divorce or, you know, those kind of events. I, I, I'm talking about unplanned things. But some of the most influential events in our life have been a crisis, things that we didn't see coming. We, we weren't prepared for them. And when they came, you, you couldn't avoid them. You couldn't go around them. They just came. And one way or another, you had to deal with it. You have to go through it. And because we live in a fallen world, because this world is broken, uh, we're all going to deal with crisis. We're all going to deal with, with crisis. Uh, I, I love this verse, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 12. Uh, people can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. You, you know, some people have the, the misunderstanding that when they become a Christ follower, uh, they think life is going to be easy. 
And maybe the misunderstanding comes about because there's some really bad teachers, especially on TV, that make it sound that way. Come to Jesus and everything's good, you know. Well, I came to Jesus, but I realized he was killed. And now I'm following him. Now I'm taking his name on myself. Life wasn't easy for Jesus, and it's not going to be easy for us. But we think, boy, if I'm, if I'm following Christ, if I'm a believer, then I should be exempt from problems, especially the big problems. They just shouldn't happen. They shouldn't happen to me. Or even worse, we think, if I'm really, really trying to follow Christ, I mean, I am serving him. I am I'm sacrificing for him. I'm making him number one in my life. I'm doing all these things for God. Surely, I won't have a problem. I still remember a guy uh, up in Ocala talking to me one day on the phone, and he said, man, I don't get it. He says, I pay my tithe every week, but I'm having these problems. And I thought, oh, man, the first problem is you pay your tithe. Like, you know, you're not allowed in the door. So, how much do you owe? You know, that's, okay, I thought, first of all, you must think you're kind of buying something from God, and he's not delivering the product. Well, that's not what it's about at all. But, but this guy, and he was a good guy, and he, and he loved God, but he somehow thought, okay, if I'm obeying God, if I'm trying to live for God, then I shouldn't have any problems. Everything should be smooth. Everything should be easy. But it's not. It's not. And it, and it never has been. I, I want to read you. I didn't print these out in your uh, outline. I'm not going to put them on the screen, but just read you just, just a few examples just real quickly. Uh, Jeremiah said, a horrible and shocking thing has happened to me. Ezekiel said, I sat for seven days shocked at what had happened to me. Isaiah said, I'm in terrible pain. I'm shocked and I hurt so much that I can't hear or see. My head spins. Early evening, my favorite time, has become a nightmare. David said, I'm in total darkness Like someone long dead, my heart is heavy and I feel numb all over. Ever felt like that? Man, I have. I have. I read that and I think, man, I I felt like that. But see, these, these are guys that were heroes of the faith. These are the people we look up to. And they weren't exempt from problems. They weren't exempt from major problems. Now, now, them, like us, sometimes the problems are self-inflicted. You know, in my case, that's the biggest cause. Most of the problems I've gone through life is, you know, I was the one holding the gun. And I, and I shoot myself, only in the foot, so it doesn't hurt quite as bad. But, you know, it, it, it really doesn't matter if we cause the problem, somebody else caused the problem, or if it's just life. We're all going to face problems. We're all going to have not just little problems, but major, major challenges, major crisis. And and we could go on and on reading story after story in the Bible of godly men, godly women, who despite their faith had these same kind of problems like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and David. You know, right now, as we sit here this morning, every one of us is either going through a crisis or we know someone who's going through a crisis or we're going to go through a crisis. You might say, man, I'm doing good today. No problems here. And, and you know, my, my, my kids are doing good now. My friends, everybody's doing, we're doing good. No crisis. But there will be. There will be in the future. 
And so this morning, I want to just kind of speak to all three of those. And again, this is just the laying the foundation for the weeks to come. But I want to kind of speak to all three of those things. How, how do we help a friend who's in crisis? And then the second one, how do we get through a crisis when it's our crisis? And then how do we prepare for crisis that, that will come in the future? So let's talk first about how to help a friend in crisis. Galatians 6, uh, verse 2 says, By helping each other with your troubles, you truly obey the law of Christ. Isn't that interesting? It, it doesn't just say by helping each other with your troubles, you'll be a nice guy. Or by helping others with their troubles, you'll have lots of friends. It doesn't say that. It says by helping each other with your troubles, you truly obey the law of Christ. What that means is helping other people isn't optional. If, if we uh, claim to be a follower of Christ, then helping other people isn't optional. It, it's part of the job description. It's part of what we do as Christ followers is we help each other. And, and not just with the fun things. You know, if you're a lady, what do you love to do? You love to help somebody with a wedding. You love to help them plan the wedding. Well, that's, yeah, that's not what this is talking about. This isn't talking about helping other people with something exciting, helping them with something fun. What does it say? Helping each other with your troubles, with your troubles. That's not easy, and it sure isn't fun. I don't know about you, but I've got enough troubles of my own. I don't need to get involved with your troubles. I mean, I've got enough trouble. If I just tried to deal with my troubles, that would just weigh me down enough. I don't, have, I, don't, I don't have the time, I don't have the energy to deal with your troubles. I mean, that's how we feel usually, isn't it? When we know somebody with trouble, we kind of feel like, well, oh, i got my own problem. You know, we know somebody in financial problems, and we go, well, my money's tight. We know somebody, you know, going through something, we go, well, but I'm, I, I've got troubles, too. And so our natural instinct is if somebody's got major troubles, it's kind of natural instinct is stay away from them. And, and part of it is because we've got enough trouble of our own. Part of it is it's not fun to be around people in trouble. It, it's usually, you know, sometimes they're kind of depressing. Sometimes they kind of bring you down. You kind of feel like, oh, now I got, you know, more load than I can handle. It's, it's not fun and it's not easy. But because... I'm following Jesus Christ. My natural instinct of I got enough problems, I don't need yours. My natural instinct has to be changed. The, 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 the nature, the sin nature in me that, that drives my thoughts and my feelings has to change and become the, the nature of the Holy Spirit of God in me. So even though on my own, yeah, I got enough problems, I don't want to help you. But the Holy Spirit of God in me, changing me, making me more like Jesus, makes me want to help with your troubles. Makes me want to get involved. Makes me want to do what my flesh doesn't want to do. You know, Jesus was just such an incredible example. You think if anybody had enough on their mind, it was Jesus. If anybody had really important places to go and things to do, it was Jesus. There's been no other mission in the history of the world as important as Jesus' mission here on earth. But Jesus would stop in the street. He would stop when there was a crowd, he didn't just respond to people's troubles. He noticed them and he stopped 
And he took time and he reached out and he cared and he listened and he loved and he touched and he healed and he delivered and he redeemed people with troubles. And if that's what Jesus did, and we want to be followers of his, we've got to learn to do that too. We've got to learn to do that too. I can't tell you the times that I'm on my way to church. I don't have time to, oh, I got this email from somebody. I don't have time. I still remember. I still remember one one Sunday morning, I get this message on Facebook from a guy I went to high school with, and I haven't seen him since, so, you know, What's it been? Two years? Three years? Yeah, a couple of years ago. And, and I haven't seen him since. And I get this message from him on Facebook. And he said, man, please reach out to this guy. He's coming to your church. And he's been through a major crisis. And, you know, he, he's an old friend of my son's. And just please reach out to this guy. And I messaged him back. I went out in the parking lot here. And I messaged him back. And I said, I don't know that guy. I said, Our church is small enough that... that that I know everybody's names, and I don't know this guy. A few minutes later, car pulls up. Guy I've never seen before gets out and goes, Hi, I'm so-and-so. And it was the guy, my friend up in, I don't forget where he lives now, some other state, had messaged me about. And I'm thinking, oh, wait, I need to be composed before preaching. I need to, you know, be ready. I need to be focused. And I'm like, no, I need, to, I need to touch this guy. I need to sit down and listen to him. I need to connect with him. I need to see you know, what's going on and, and how can we help you. Because when we follow Christ, we're not following our old ways. We're following the ways that Jesus demonstrated for us. We're, we're touching the lives that he places in our path so that we can really represent him well. So how do we do it? How do we help a friend in crisis, just just some very practical uh, things, but they're so important. The first one is show up. How do we help someone who's going through a crisis? Show up. Uh, look with me if you've got your Bibles. Turn to Job chapter two, or, or the verses are all printed in your outline. But look with me at Job chapter two, and we'll start in verse eleven. Now, Job, this righteous man, man who loved God, Job. You think you've got problems? Job is going through worse problems than any of us can ever imagine. Our worst day and and the worst amount of pain, the biggest problem, nothing like what Job went through. And so Job is going through this terrible, terrible crisis. Not just one, but really it's a a series of major crises in his life. And look what uh, verse 11 says. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered... They got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Isn't that cool? They heard. And it wasn't a text and it wasn't an email and it wasn't on Facebook and they didn't get a tweet. You know, they heard. And it, time is passing, but they heard. And they said, we got to go. We got to go. Our friend Job is in a crisis. We've got to go comfort him and console You know, the thing that kind of inspired this series was uh, Rick Warren and Kay Warren out at Saddleback Church. I showed you a video of them recently being interviewed on CNN talking about their son who committed suicide. And Rick said that when their son Matthew killed himself, 26 years old, 
lived on his own. You know, they, of course, went to his apartment. And their entire small group, their weekly small you know, home group, their entire small group showed up at Matthew's house with them. Showed up just to be there. Showed up just to comfort and just to console. They just showed up. You know, sometimes just showing up doesn't seem like much. It's everything. If you're the one going through a crisis, when somebody just shows up, when they take the time and make the effort just to show up, it, it means everything to us. And, and what was so cool, Rick said they showed up and then when he and Kay went home to spend probably the most tragic night anyone can imagine, a night after your son who'd been troubled with mental illness his whole life after he committed suicide. When Rick and Kay went home, their entire small group went home with them and spent the night at their house. Not to be surprised guests that were a pain, but to just be there. To just be there. I'm sure they were laying on the floor, laying on the couch. They just wanted to be there. They just showed up. And that meant so, so much. When my mom died on Christmas Eve, it was a year and a half ago. And we had her little memorial service at, at, at the uh, nursing home. Where she'd been for six years. And I just thought, you know, Brent would come, the kids would come, I'd, you know, just there'd be 10 of us. And the nursing home director of activities, I said, could, could we have about 10 chairs? He said, sure. Well, at one point before, before the service started, I, I, I walked across to the lobby and I look, and it was, it, was, it was eerie. Have you ever had one of those just supernatural kind of experiences? You look and you're not seeing reality. I looked, and people who looked like really old versions of my cousins and my aunts and my uncles were all standing in the lobby. People that had come from West Virginia, Ohio, uh, Kentucky. People had traveled. I didn't know any of them were coming. People I hadn't seen in 20 or 30 years. They showed up. And I started to cry. I didn't cry. I was with my mom when she took her last breath. Valerie and I were there, and, and we'd been singing uh, hymns with her, and we'd been reading scripture to her, and we'd just been there holding her hand when she lost consciousness completely. And I felt complete peace because I knew that in that instant she'd gone to be with Christ. But I cried. When I walked into the lobby, I didn't cry before the, the ceremony, and I was leading it. I didn't cry then. I cried when I walked into the lobby, and I saw all these relatives that I hadn't seen in 20 or 30 years. I thought, this is incredible. All these people, what did they do? Showed up. They didn't say anything. They showed up. I didn't know they were coming. They just showed up. That, that, that affected me and will affect me for the rest of my life. I mean, one of those cousins I hadn't seen. One day I get a message on Facebook and he says, sorry for the short notice, but we're having my mom's memorial service tomorrow, Sunday. Well, as soon as we were finished here, we got in the car and we drove two or three hours, however long it was, to be there. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have shown up, except these people showed up for me and it made such an impact. I, I want to, to, to show up for them. I want to be able to comfort them and console them. When we were missionaries in Belize, 
Uh, I was teaching English one day. We had a language school set up. And our, our previous house had been robbed twice, and the police told us, get a guard dog. And, you know, we weren't pet people, but the idea of a guard dog kind of appealed to me. You know, it's kind of cool. So we got a German shepherd, and this German shepherd acted like it would eat anyone in the world except for me and Valerie and our daughter Jennifer. I mean, this dog, trucks would drive by, and it would chase them the length of the yard. I mean, it would just, it really acted like it would just destroy anybody. The the the. The guys that would go around and read the, the water meters, the power meters, they, they'd do it on bicycles in Belize, but they would park their bike, lean it up against our fence, the only safe place that it wouldn't get stolen because our dog was on the other side of the fence. I mean, he would try to jump the wall. He would try, I mean, this dog was wild, except to us. So the exact kind of dog you want for a guard dog, you want in a third world country where you keep getting robbed, and, you know, you, 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 it, it was awesome. But I didn't know if that dog would actually hurt anybody. I just knew he acted like he would. I knew he had this big, ferocious bark. And and so I'm in a little room that was attached to, to the house that we were renting. And it's a classroom. And I had probably 15 children. And I'm teaching them English. And our dog walks into the classroom. It had gone up. First time it had ever gotten out. It went up a hill in the backyard. It got up over the wall. It went down. And it came back around and walked into the classroom. And here's all these kids. Scared me to death. Because I didn't know. I didn't know if it would attack these kids or not. And so, you know, my heart starts pounding. And I'm usually pretty composed under pressure, but my heart starts pounding. And, you know, started, just felt like I was going to explode. And we got the dog and took the dog away. But my heart kept pounding and my arm went numb. And I started having pain and it didn't go away and it didn't go away. And I thought... I've never had a heart attack, but I kind of think this is probably what it feels like. And again, we're in a third world country. I got Valerie and I laid down in bed. I don't don't know if you called people or if the kids went and told people, but all of a sudden a group of ladies from the church that that we uh, went to uh, show up and they're all there to check on me. And one of the ladies sees my condition and she calls her husband and he comes and gets me to take me to the hospital. And we're in the Capitol, but the Capitol Hospital didn't have an EKG machine. So he takes me to a Seventh-day Adventist hospital halfway towards Guatemala. And you know, we get there, and they do the EKG, but the guy says, but there's no doctors here. There's nobody that can read it. And, and so uh, our friend who took me there takes me. There was a doctor in the church. Now, these people are from Taiwan. We're in Central America, but all, the church that we were working in was a Chinese church. So, so there was a doctor from Taiwan was part of the church. So he takes me over to Dr. Yen's house, and Dr. Yen gets the EKG, and Dr. Yen was very hard to understand, partially, you know, because he was from Taiwan and didn't speak English very well, and he had just this high voice, and he's reading, well, do-do-do-do, this level, this level. You know, you can't understand your own doctor when they explain stuff, but a Chinese doctor in Central America explained it. It was really hard. And so he goes through the whole thing, and, you know, I'm just wondering, did I have a heart attack? What, what's, and, 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 he, and he says, and so you've had a myocardial infarction. And Valerie and I go, whew! I was afraid I'd had a heart attack. Now, I'd never heard of a myocardial infarction. I'm probably not even saying it right. I'd never heard of that. We get back, and Valerie, our friend's wife, who took me to the hospital, calls, and Valerie's all excited. Oh, we're just so glad it's not a heart attack. And Grace goes, 
oh, it was a heart attack. That's what Dr. Yen said. And all of a sudden, yeah, you can just feel better once you're diagnosed. You know, I mean, feel worse once you're diagnosed. You're like, ah. So, all those ladies showed up. Jimmy came and took me to the hospital. Jimmy took me to Dr. Yen's house to get the thing read. Jimmy takes me back. People started showing up at our house. Uh, they came and they gave Valerie money. People came and brought us food. All these people just showed up. Just showed up. And that meant the world to us. That meant the world to us. Don't take for granted this idea that when somebody's in a crisis, I don't know what to do, show up. Just show up. Here's, here's the next thing to do. Share their pain. Verse 12 says, When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and they threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. I mean, this was a way that they, that they expressed their, their grief, the tearing of the robes, the throwing of the dirt. And so these guys saw their friend Job. They'd heard he was in a crisis. They didn't know how bad it was. They just see him and they're like, oh my gosh. And they just you know, did everything in, in their culture to express their grief. They shared his pain. The, the Bible says weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. I don't know about you. I, I know a lot of people say, well, here's why I don't go. When somebody's, you know, they're in a crisis, here's why I don't go. I don't know what to say. For years, that controlled me. For years, I thought, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. You know, a lady in our church would have a, a, a miscarriage. I don't know what to say. Valerie would go, be with them. Something would happen. I'd say, I don't know what to say. You, you go, honey. And, and Valerie is such a big talker. If you, you know, if you know her, you know she just yap, 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 yap. She doesn't talk at all. I can't. I never stopped talking. Valerie would be the one to go. I wouldn't go because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. But look at look at verse thirteen. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Wow. I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything. Just go. Just be there. Show up and, and feel their pain. Share their pain. You say, I don't have a ministry. You get in the ministry of presence. The ministry of your presence. Just being there. When we've gone through difficult times and somebody has just come and just showed up, it means so very much. See, people need you. They don't need your words. They don't need your advice. They need you. They need you to show up. And you know what? The greater the grief, the fewer the words that are needed. Sometimes there are no words. When, when somebody's been through something and it, it's just such a terrible crisis and, and it, it's so unjust, there's no words. That's okay. The bigger the grief, the fewer the words. Is the air conditioning on in here? Thank you. When you're sweating and you're teaching and you're sweating, you just need somebody to show up and turn the air down. Here's the next thing. We show up. We share the pain. 
And then take the initiative. This is another, this is a hard one too. I've, I've been so bad at this for years. Take the initiative. Don't sit on the sidelines waiting for the person who's going through a crisis to call you. And don't say, this is what I've always done that's, that's bad. Don't say, call me if you need anything. That is so easy. Call me if you need anything. How many of you have ever said, call me if you need anything to someone, and they've ever called you and said, here's what I need? They don't do it. People say to me, call me if you need anything. I appreciate that. I never call. I never call. Take the initiative. When somebody's in a crisis, uh, don't say, how can I help? What happens when you're in a crisis and somebody says, how can I help? You, you can't think when you're in a crisis. Your mind is numb. You're paralyzed when you're in a crisis. You can't think. Don't say, how can I help? Just go and help. Give them options. Hey, I'd like to bring dinner. Would that be okay? Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Or I'm going to the store. Do you need anything? Rick said that after uh, Matthew committed suicide, his neighbors would just take his trash out. They'd just wash his car. Isn't that cool? Didn't ask Hey, would you like me to wash your car? Who's going to ask? You're going through a crisis. Your son's committed suicide. Who cares about your car? You're sure not going to go wash your car. But neighbors said, I'll just go do that. Or it's trash day. I'll just take their trash down too. Isn't that a blessing? Just to do it. Just to do it. Just to show up. Share somebody's pain. Take the initiative just to do it. Three and a half years ago, when I stepped down, from the pastor of New Hope Church. It was probably the most pain I've ever felt in my life. It was a crisis. Much of it self-inflicted, but it was a crisis. And if anybody said, what do you need? I wouldn't I wouldn't even answer the phone. But people just showed up. Mark Ragsdale, pastor of church at Vieira, Shoots me an email. Bruce, I heard you stepped in. Is it true? I, I, he reached out to me. Ralph Nygaard, pastor of First Baptist of O'Galley across the street, called me and said, I want to take you out to lunch. Eric Brookins, pastor of Surfside Church that now helps support us, our church, financially. Eric called me and I'm going to take you out to lunch. So many of my pastor friends just took the initiative. If they had called and said, do you want to go out to lunch? I would have said, no. I'm not up to talking. I'm not up to, I don't know. But they did they just said, hey, how's, how's Wednesday? I want to take you out to lunch Wednesday. Okay. I still remember, don't you love caller ID? You, you can decide, oh, no, I don't want to talk to that person. I still remember the phone rang, like, just the day or two after I stepped down, and I saw caller ID. It said, Roy Butcher. I'm like, oh. Roy's going Roy's gonna to just give me heck. He's just going to call and yell at me. He's just, I, I don't even want to talk. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't think I answered. I think you just left a message. Roy called and said, do you need a job? I'd like to hire you to work at the tire store down on Wickham Road. Roy, that meant so much to me. And I know people gave you grief for offering me a job, like helping. So, gosh, how terrible is that? That meant so much to me. 
But what means even more is that I said, no, I, I don't know a thing about cars, and I would be a nightmare that would destroy your business. You wouldn't be here today if I'd taken that job, because you'd hate my guts. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. But that meant so much. And other pastors, pastors from out of town that would, you know, Bruce Turner up in Virginia, he said, next time he's in Melbourne, he calls me, he took me out for lunch. That, that just meant so much. So much. You're going through a crisis, and people just take the initiative to reach out. So those are some things we can do to help somebody who's going through a crisis. These, these next two are a lot shorter, but what about us? What about us? So if somebody else is in a crisis, we can, we can show up. We can share their pain. We can take the initiative to, to reach out to them. But how do we survive a crisis? The first one seems so obvious. Cry out to God. It seems so obvious. But here's what we typically do. It's kind of like our our prayer life. You know, what do you do when there's a big problem? You try to solve it yourself. You try everything in the world. And when all else fails, we turn to God. And it should be the opposite. That the first thing we do, cry out to God. Crisis, cry out to God. Doesn't matter if it's self-inflicted. Doesn't matter how it happened, what happened, what's going on. Crisis. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. The first thing we do, not the last. And, and when we cry out to God, it's not one time. Sometimes we say, I cried out to God. I did that. Do it again. Do it again. It's, it's, it's not one event. It, 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 it becomes a lifestyle. Cry out to God. God, I need you. God, I can't do anything without you. God, I need you. God, please save me. Please rescue me. Please pull me up out of the pit. God, I need you. I'm desperate. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, call on me. God says, call on me when you're in trouble. He wants us to. He wants us to turn to him. He wants us to look solely to him to be the solution. Call on me when you're in trouble. And what's he going to do? I will rescue you. Notice he says, I will rescue. Not, I might rescue you. I will rescue you. Our neighbors across the street, sweet, sweet old couple, they moved here from uh, Louisiana. Three of their four kids, uh, adult kids, have died. And the remaining one lives here. And the the last one of their kids that died before they moved, uh, overdosed, had a drug uh, problem and overdosed from prescription pain medicine. And, and so they move here. They're in their 80s. They move here. You know, one child left. And they uprooted and moved here. And they're these tiny little frail, 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 little old man, little old woman. In the heat of the day, they'll be out there. They'd outwork me any day of the week. They're just hardworking people, but they're tiny little, very frail and very old. And one day I saw Lorraine outside, and she's had strokes in the past. She can barely talk. And I said, Lorraine, how are y'all doing? She goes, oh, I'm doing okay. But, but, but Byron fell. Oh, Byron's 86 years old. 87. I think he just turned 87. He was 89. He's getting older as we sit here. She goes, Byron fell. And I thought he'd had a heart attack, but he just tripped on the rug, and Byron fell. And I'm not strong enough to pick him up. I said, oh, Lorraine, call us. And I'm thinking, I got four herniated discs. I can't lift up anything. 
Anything. But I said, call me. I thought, I'll go wake up some more neighbors. They can come lift you up. You know, we'll do something. We'll do something. Call me. Call me. That's the way God is with us. Only God can fix it. God doesn't have a bad back. God says, call me. Call me. I will rescue you. Not I might. I will rescue you. And then notice he says, and you will give me glory. Isn't that awesome? We are having a crisis. Times of trouble, God says, I will rescue you and you will give me glory. And he's not just talking about, you owe me. I will rescue you and I want credit because I want to get... No, that's not what he's talking about. What God wants to do with us is when we're in a crisis, when we go through dark, terrible things in our lives, God wants to rescue us and then he wants to use us. And and the way he wants to use us is in the very area that was our darkest moment, our biggest failure, our biggest weakness. That's where he wants to use us is through that experience. He wants to use us to minister to other people. I used to lead a a celebrate recovery group. And I I always felt so guilty. I'd I'd sit down with a group of guys every week and, and I'd say, man, guys, you know. My addiction is Krispy Kreme donuts. My addiction is I, I, can't, I can't eat just one of anything. I eat more and more and more. And, and I say, you, you guys are addicted to crack, and you guys are on Oxycontin, you know, injecting, crushing it, injecting it. You guys are on heroin. I feel like a wimp. I'm sitting here. You know, and, and I remember one night one guy said, yeah, he was sweet. He said, Problem is, he said, you can walk in 7-Eleven and just get one donut. He said, I, I can't get just one more rock because that's going to lead to the next one and the next one and the next one. And, and man, I, I, I tried to, to serve those guys and love those guys. But you know what? As much as I tried, they couldn't identify with me because I hadn't been where they were. For me to say, my addiction has got the same roots and the same problem as yours. That's true. But nobody, nobody that's ever lost their home, their family, their life savings, everything they have, their job, their reputation, all because of crack. Nobody that's been through that is going to connect with the guy that says, I just can't eat one Krispy Kreme donut when the sign says hot. Now I have to eat two or three or four. It's just not there. But the guys that can sit there and say, yes, I was there. I've been there. I lost everything. I did it. And man, God rescued me. The darkest part, the darkest days, the weakest times, the the terrible tragedies that you've been through, God wants to use those things, not just to rescue you, but then use you to minister to other people. And that brings him glory. That brings him glory. Not when he works with the perfect people, because none of us are, but when he works with us, people who have had broken lives and broken paths, people that make mistakes, when he can work with us to rescue us and then use us to rescue other people. That brings God glory. Lamentations 2, verse 19. says, rise during the night and cry out. You're going through a crisis? Cry out to God. He says, pour out your hearts like water to the Lord. Lift up your hands to Him in prayer. What does pour mean? Pour out your hearts. 
means everything. Pour it out. It means it's okay to yell. It means it's okay to say, God, I'm so mad. God, I'm so discouraged. God, I'm so... It's okay to yell at God. It's okay to take Him your frustrations. It's okay to take Him your doubts. It's okay to take Him everything that you're dealing with. Pour it out. Because if we pour until we're empty, that's when the Holy Spirit of God can fill us up and make us into a new person. Give us a fresh start and a whole new life. Only when we give up completely can God give us peace and hope and faith. How do you survive a crisis? Cry out to God. And the second one is let others help. Let others help. You know, we just said that when somebody we care about is going through a crisis, we've got we to go, we've got to show up, and we've got to take the initiative. When you're the one going through the crisis, you've got to let people do that. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me. It's hard for me to let people do something for me. I, I, I feel like such a, a wimp when somebody has to do something for me. I, I, I apologize to Valerie. I don't know how many times a day I apologize to her for the stuff I can't do right now. I mean, I just, it just feels stupid to say, honey, I just made a new thing of tea, but could you put it in the refrigerator? Because I can't lift it up off the counter. I just feel like a, just like a wimp. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to let her do things for me all day long. I, I feel guilty about it. And other people want to do something. I, I just, oh, you feel guilty. I don't know. I just, I've, I've always had a hard time with, with accepting people's assistance. But that's what we've got to do. When we're in a crisis, we've got to cry out to God and we've got to let people help us. Let people help us. If we don't let people help us, we're stopping them from being used by God, using their gifts by God. We're stopping them from the blessing of serving other people. These two things seem really, really simple. If I'm going through a crisis, cry out to God. Let other people help me. It seems really simple. But yes, that's it. That's it. Cry out to God. Accept help from God. Accept help from the people that God sends to us. Let God love you. Let other people love you. Turn to God. Turn to people that care about you. That's what church is about. We're here to be able to help each other. We're here to be able to reach out in, in times of crisis and say, let me help you with that, man. Let me, let, me, let me help you with that. So one more. How do we prepare for future crisis? Somebody we know is in a crisis. We show up. We share their pain. We take the initiative to help them. If we're in a crisis, we cry out to God and, and we let other people help us. But what about the crisis that's not here yet? The first is, is cultivate strong relationships. God never intended for you to face a crisis on your own. God never intended that we should do life on our own. That's why he's created us in, in community. That's why church is a community of believers. That's why we need to be plugged into a church family. You know, when I left New Hope, I'll be honest with you, I don't want everyone to go to church again. Didn't matter how much was my stupid mistakes. Didn't matter how much pain other people were causing me. Didn't matter how many people lied. Didn't matter how many people stabbed me in the back. Didn't matter how many people took advantage. Didn't matter. There was so much pain, I didn't want to go to church again. So you know what we did? I told Valerie, one thing we've got to do, make sure we don't miss a Sunday. We've got to go somewhere. We've got to, we, we can't just stay home. We've got to go. We've got to go. We've got to plug in because that's what I've always told people to do. Go. Don't fall through the cracks. Don't drift away. And, and, and so we just showed up and, and, and went to church somewhere. 
we, we didn't get relationships there, but we did, we did start to find them in, in other places. God never intended for us to do life alone. He wants us to be part of a church family. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three, or even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Cultivate relationships. Don't just come to church and go home. Get to know people. Get together. Come to it when we, when we have our Bible studies, our life groups. Come. Be part of that. And then the last one is grow some roots. Grow some spiritual roots. We all need to know the Bible better and we need to know God better. Wednesday nights, we, we, we were doing this series, How to Study the Bible. We're going to wrap it up this Wednesday at our house. We're not going to meet here, but we're going to meet at our house, 630. There's not Wi-Fi here. And, and, and I just want to show you ways of, of using tools online, how to study the Bible online or on your tablet or on your phone, your computer, whatever you've got. The, the tools are incredible to be able to find out so much deep resources to help us understand God's Word better. And we need that foundation. We need that foundation. We need to know God's word better, and we need to know God better. Because if we don't know God really, really well, then when a crisis comes, it's going to be easy to blame him and walk away from him. But what I know is no matter how bad things are, no matter how bad things can be, I never blame God. I never blame God. I know it's not his fault. I know it's my fault, somebody else's fault. It's fallen world's fault. It's not God's fault. And so we need to know God's strength. We need to know his character. We need to know his faithfulness so that we won't doubt that, so that we'll know that when that's all we've got, that's everything. Jeremiah 17, last verse. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a river bank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by the long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. So God wants our spiritual lives to be so deeply rooted in Him, in His Word, that the storms, the crisis, they, they, they won't destroy us. They may bend us, they may even be broken sometimes, not going to be destroyed. Never destroyed. You know somebody that's going through a crisis, show up in their lives, share their pain, take the initiative, don't ask, just help them, just help them. If you're going through a crisis, cry out to God and, and, and let other people know so that other people can help you. Let people help. It, it breaks my heart as a pastor when, when somebody won't let you help. It's like, oh my gosh, we want to help. I, I, let me just tell you right now. I'll repeat this again. We've got several regulars that aren't here. I'll repeat this again soon. Please don't ever say, I didn't want to bother you. Or I didn't call because I know you're so busy. Yes, I'm busy. Yes, I'm busy. But when somebody, even though it's not a regular attender, when, when somebody walks in here last week and I say, how are you doing? He goes, well, I was in the hospital for a week. What? 
Why didn't you call me? Why didn't you let us come? Why didn't you let us pray? Why didn't you let us know? Please, you are never a bother. We are a family. Call. Call us what we're here for. Don't say, oh, you're too big. No, no. There's nothing more important. Nothing more important than, than our relationship with God and helping each other, loving and serving each other. Please don't ever think you shouldn't call. Please, 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 please. We, we want to be there. We want to help. Storms are going to come, but God wants us to make it through. Not just make it through, but maybe come out the other side even stronger. Maybe have roots that have gotten even deeper through the storms through the crisis so that our faith can grow, so that we can glorify God, so that we can make a difference in other people's lives. I want us to pray right now. and I just want to, we don't usually do this, but I just want to invite anybody here if, if if you'd like to come forward and let me just pray for you if you're going through a crisis I'd love to pray for you if uh, somebody you love and care about is going through a crisis I'd, I'd love to join you in, in praying for them if you know you're not going through a crisis don't know anybody is but you know your roots aren't strong enough you know that if a crisis came, you're just not you're just not prepared spiritually. I'd love to pray for you. That's what we're here for. So as Brent plays, I just want to invite. I always hate it when we say to somebody, "I'll pray for you." But is there anything I can do? Prayer is the most important thing we can do.
lives that have gone through the crime system. Ask, ask God to show you it. solutions to our kindness. There's 
There's no solution we can offer to anybody else but the crisis. In Jesus. Father, would you use today to give many of us here fresh life? And God, would you use your word today to equip us God, would you give us such a hunger for you, such a desire to know you, that our roots would grow stronger and stronger, deeper and deeper. God, that we would be pillars. Briefly, but this Wednesday night, potluck at our house. Sorry for the typo and the lower note over here. My favorite dishes. Bring whatever you'd like. But let us know if you can come. Let us know how many. And let us know what you bring so we can kind of make sure that we've been in ground well. But 6 30, our house address is there. If you don't know where we live, it'll be a good time of fellowship. And we'll, we'll batten down the hatches to get ready for winter. It's going to be cold. Probably 70. 79 degrees. Ready? You guys can help us with my back up in the attic. They don't have any notes. You know, all that. Let's stand and sing one more song as we worship God. Amen.